2: It's not easy to sit down first, but the Lord is saying, stop, don't come and begin until you sit down first. I want you to finish. I want you to finish, but you got to know the cost that may come your way. So settle it, sit down and count the cost. You're going to love Christ. You're going to follow him, even if it comes down to hating your mother and your father, because they force you to. Even it comes down to hating your wife because she forces you to, children, brothers, sisters, your own life, that may say, I don't want. Even if it comes to that, the cost to love and follow Christ may come to hating yourself. The cost to love and follow Christ may come to giving up all your treasures, possessions on earth. Sit down first, settle it, think about it, and then come. And so he says, but he says this, I want to tell you one thing. Whatever cost you think there, are, there, there may be, I'll make it up to you and more. It is worth it. Whatever the cost is, he made it very clear. It's worth it. It's worth the cost because he said in Mark 10, 29, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there's no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospel, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and children, houses and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. So he says, So God is a good accountant. And he's got his pencil out, he's got his book out. He says, I'm keeping track of everything you lost and I'll make it up to you. That's his promise. And that's exactly where Ruth was. Ruth was exactly here. That's what Ruth was. She was here. She chose to love Jehovah Jesus. And and she was gonna follow Naomi back to the people of Jehovah Jesus. And she said no to her people. And she said no to her parents and she said no to her country and they were all crying out to Ruth with the hand that was coming up, Ruth come back, Ruth turn back to us, turn away from this Jehovah Jesus, don't follow him, go with us. And Ruth had to sit down first and count the cost, and she saw the hand of her ancestors coming out of that grave, reaching for her, saying, take my hand. She heard that voice, Ruth, come back. Ruth, don't follow. Ruth, turn away from Naomi. Ruth, turn away from Jehovah Jesus. Ruth, don't turn your back on us. Ruth, don't turn your back on your country. Don't turn your back on your people. Don't turn your back on your father and your mother. It's not too late, Ruth. Ruth, turn away from Naomi. Turn away from God. Turn back to us. And Ruth sat down, she sat down first and she counted the cost, and after sitting down, Ruth got up and said, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna be faithful to Naomi, I'm gonna be faithful to Jehovah Jesus, and I'm gonna be unfaithful, if you will, to my father, my mother, my people, my country, so that I can love and follow Jehovah Jesus. That's the cost of faithfulness. You know, we're this is the Sunday before the next Sunday, which is baptism. Baptism here at the chapel, the essential meaning of baptism. If a person wants to capture the essential meaning of baptism, then that person will mean by their baptism that they first sat down and counted the cost of faithfulness. They counted the cost of faithfulness to love Christ, to follow Christ, and that person, by being baptized, is saying, by my baptism, I mean to say that if to love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ costs me my relationship with my father, my mother, my spouse, my brothers, my sisters, I choose Christ. That's what it means. By my baptism, I mean to say, if to love and follow Christ costs me all my possessions in my very life, I choose Christ. That's what it means. Baptism only has meaning if a person means by his baptism that he's counted the cost of faithfulness. Faithfulness to follow Christ, and he's willing to pay the price when it comes to choosing Christ above all else. Baptism is a statement. It's a statement of a lifelong dedication of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been right here with Ruth. And just like Ruth, you could say, it's just like Ruth is gonna be baptized here in chapter one, in verse 16. You know, the person about to baptize Ruth says to Ruth, Ruth, before I baptize you, what statement do you wanna make to the people? And it's just like Ruth takes the microphone. You know, like little Cos did last Sunday. (laughs) He takes the microphone with a booming voice. He declares the word of God. So Ruth, you know, she takes the microphone, and before she's baptized, she says, chapter one, verse nine, my testimony is, whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God, my God, where you die, I'll die. That's her testimony. We can hear the minister say, Ruth. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of Elohim the Father, Elohim the Son, Elohim the Holy Spirit. And down she goes down into the water and up she comes, renouncing her old Moabite people, renouncing her old Moabite country, her old Moabite gods, embracing her new people, her new country, her new Jehovah Jesus as her God. And when she comes out of the water, we all applaud, and we sing, oh, happy day when Jehovah Jesus washed her sins away. <laughs> so with her conversion, Ruth is now in Jehovah Jesus, and being in Jehovah Jesus means she's a new creature. She's not the old Ruth. She's a new creature, and Jehovah Jesus just says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man or woman be in Christ, he or she, we have to make this, you know, politically correct. (laughs) He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things, everything has become new. Old things have passed away out of Ruth's life. All the old things become new. And one of the things that's become new is prayer to Jehovah Jesus. And when Ruth leaves Naomi to go glean corn, she says to Naomi in verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me now go glean, uh, go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. She said unto Go, my daughter. See, when she spoke, when Ruth spoke about finding a person in whose sight she would find grace, that was a prayer. That was Ruth's prayer. And when Ruth said to Naomi, we can hear Ruth saying to Naomi, me, I prayed to Jehovah Jesus for him to bring me to a person in whose sight I shall find grace. And when Ruth goes out that day, we can see Ruth saying, I prayed to Jehovah Jesus to bring me to the person whom I'm going to find grace. I shall locate that person in whose sight I shall find grace because my God's faithful. And life was exciting for Ruth, this new life old things passed away, new life was exciting because she was excited that day as she set out that day listening for God's answer, looking for God's answer to her prayer in the morning. That picture of Ruth, praying, setting out that day, listening and looking for the answer from God to her prayer is the same as we see with who of all people, Pharaoh, 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 He dreams a very graphic dream, a very disturbing dream. He sees thin cattle eating fat, no, no, yeah, thin cattle eating fat cattle. That'd be disturbing. He sees thin ears of corn eating fat ears of corn. And he has a great desire to see his dream interpreted. But nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he turns to his expert dream interpreters, the magicians, and they're stumped. We can't do it, Pharaoh. We're sorry. We just don't know what that dream means. And thankfully he wasn't like Nebuchadnezzar said, "Well, then off with your head." But he was a good good better. Anyway, so Pharaoh, he's tormented. No peace. He has no peace. He has no peace until this dream gets interpreted. And then Pharaoh's butler says to Pharaoh, "Ah, I remember. I was in prison a Hebrew you know, this is like an anathema, a Hebrew. A Hebrew named Joseph, he could interpret dreams. Pharaoh is so desperate that he's willing to turn to help to a person who is despised, who is rejected, who is acquainted with grief. He's willing to turn to that person, just like the Lord Jesus Christ in Isaiah fifty-three-three, It says he's despised, he was rejected of men, he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We did like this, can't stand, look at him. He doesn't wear our faces from him. But desp- we esteemed him not, too much. That's the description that fit Joseph. This Hebrew Joseph, he was despised. He was in a Hebrew, he was an abomination to the Egyptians. As a prisoner, he's rejected of men. As a prisoner, he suffered. It says his feet were put in the stocks. They hurt his feet with irons. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with graves. As an unshaven, dirty-clothed prisoners, the Egyptians hid, as it were, their face from him. He was despised. They esteemed him not. But Pharaoh's so desperate. He's so desperate to help. He says, I'm willing to turn to the despised, forsaken, Joseph, the Hebrew, uh, rejected of man. I'm willing to turn to the man of sorrows, the one who's acquainted with grief, and the one who all the Egyptians are, are hiding his face from. I'm so desperate and so Pharaoh never would have turned to Joseph unless he was desperate enough. And no one turns to the Lord Jesus Christ unless they're desperate enough. And you know, I brought some tangerines out there. You guys should take some of the tangerines, they're very good. But you'll be turned off when you look at the skin of those tangerines. I got to give you some fair warning they are ugly. You know, they, they're all wrinkled up and stuff, you know. But anyway, that's just the outward appearance, but they are sweet on the inside. And the fact that Pharaoh was willing to turn to Joseph just shows how desperate Pharaoh was. Pharaoh's reaching out. He's in a state of prayer. Pharaoh's in a state of prayer, and God answers those two-word prayers. Help me. That's the prayer God answers, and so Pharaoh, he calls for Joseph. He's called, Joseph, help me. And the word comes down to the prisoner. And so we can just imagine with it. send up the prisoner, Joseph. You know? <laughs> Pharaoh's calling for the despised Hebrew. You know? <laughs> and so they rush to Joseph all along. Hurry up. Get shaved already. Put on some clean clothes. Try not to smell so bad. You know? <laughs> and the first words that Joseph hears from the most powerful man on the earth. In Genesis 41, 15, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream, there's none that I can interpret it, and I've heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. After years of being a slave, he's a prisoner, He hears, Joseph hears the king tell him that he's heard that Joseph is the man, and when Joseph hears that, Joseph is faced with a great temptation. Yeah, you know, what's he? he, he well, see, man, that's not a bad title, you know, dream interpreter for the Pharaoh. Yeah, that's pretty good. Better than prisoner, you know. So, so he's tempted to just kind of, just sort of like kick back a little bit. Let me just kind of let that praise stick on me a little bit. Man, I like that title. Yeah, it look good, you know. Chief dream interpreter. So I think it looks nice. Yeah. And he's under tremendous temptation. He thinks how he now at last he has a chance to be elevated to the position of chief dream interpreter. And out of bondage, out of prison, just accept the praise. Just accept the title of being the man. That's what he called them. And Joseph is standing here before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, who's consumed with this need to have his dream interpreted. And Joseph hears the Pharaoh, he prays on him with the words of, thou can understand a dream to interpret it. He suddenly, Joseph is cast into a hot refining pot, into a melting furnace that's described in Proverbs twenty-seven, twenty-one, As the finding pot for silver, And the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. And Joseph has just been told that he's got what Pharaoh needs, the ability to interpret dreams, and the temptation for for Joseph just to sit back and just, I'm kind of enjoying this limelight here. It's not bad. Could be worse. But, you know, Pharaoh has said, well, you're the man. It's real tempting for Joseph to say, well, yes, Pharaoh. I mean, I don't want to boast, but I am pretty good at it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you see, there was this baker, this butler. I did a pretty good job interpreting their dreams. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not bad. Although there was a stream of my brothers and my father bowing down to me. I wasn't so good at that one. But anyway, but not Joseph. He doesn't do any of that. Joseph does something wonderful. When the limelight is pointed on him, Joseph gets a big mirror and he points it up to God and he replies back to Pharaoh. His first words to Pharaoh in, in Genesis forty-one sixteen, Joseph answers Pharaoh and said, it's not in me. It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You know, you gotta see what he said. Joseph answers Pharaoh saying, it's not in me. Elohim shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. You know, Elohim? Who is Elohim? I mean, you know, Pharaoh, you mean Ra, the sun god? No, I don't mean Ra, I mean Elohim. You mean you know, a myriad of these other gods? No, I mean Elohim. It's the first time Pharaoh has heard of Elohim. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, Joseph, you're the man, you're the man, Pharaoh. And Joseph's quick to answer, says, no, Pharaoh, Elohim's to God. Because the guy says, Elohim's to God, you know. Joseph, you're quite the man. Genesis 41, 15. Genesis 41, 16. Joseph replies, No, Pharaoh, Elohim's quite the God. And, and at that point, when Joseph said to, to, to Pharaoh that God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace, Joseph could have said, Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? It's God who will answer your prayer for help. Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? It's not Joseph who's going to answer your prayer for help. That was the hearest thou not message that Joseph was giving to Pharaoh when he said, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And then Joseph interprets the dream. Joseph is the person who interprets Pharaoh's dream. And after the, the interpretation, then the question's still on the table Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? The question is after, jo- after Pharaoh started with, Joseph will give Pharaoh an answer. And after Pharaoh heard Joseph say, no, God will give Pharaoh an answer, and after watching Joseph give Pharaoh an answer, the question was, hearest thou not, Pharaoh? Did you hear what I said, Pharaoh? And even though Pharaoh saw Joseph give him an answer, did Pharaoh hear Joseph when Joseph said to Pharaoh, God was gonna give Pharaoh an answer? And the hearest thou not question was answered when Pharaoh said, in Genesis 41, 38 through 39, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can you picture the scene? He gets his interpretation, he gets interpretation. Wow, you know, they're impressed. He's impressed. He said, That's right. And the servant said, Yep, that's right, boss. And so then he turns to his servant and says, What do you think? Can we find such a one as this, such a such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has showed thee all this, there's none so discreet as wise as thou art. So he starts off in verse 15 and calling Joseph the man that canst understand a dream to interpret it. But Pharaoh hears, and Pharaoh hears Joseph interpret it, but he ends by saying, this is a man in whom the spirit of God is. And he said, God has showed you all this. Pharaoh heard Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? Yes, he heard. And by hearing, Pharaoh was converted. Why? He was converted to Elohim, and when Pharaoh ordered all of Egypt to be under the man in whom the spirit of Elohim is, Pharaoh was moving his country to convert to Elohim. And the hearest thou not question for Pharaoh was, would Pharaoh see beyond Joseph to see that it was God who gave him the answer to his dream? Hearest thou not, Pharaoh? Yes, yes. Yes, Pharaoh would say, I see beyond Joseph. I see beyond Joseph to God who gave me the answer to my dream through Joseph. And an Egyptian steward later in Joseph's house also heard when Joseph's brethren were as desperate and anxious as Pharaoh and reaching out for help to this Egyptian steward because they found their money that they had paid for the grain was still in their bags. And he said to them, the Egyptian steward in Genesis 43, 23, he said, peace be unto you. See, Pharaoh had no peace. These brothers had no peace. He says, peace be to you. Fear not. Your God and the God of your father have given you the treasure in your sacks. And then he said, I had your money. Well, which one's true? I mean, here the Egyptian steward was the one who put the money in their sacks. He says, I had your money in Genesis 43, 23. But the Egyptian steward tells them, you're, you're Elohim. And the Elohim of your father, he gave you the treasure in your sacks. But it was the steward who gave the treasure in their sacks. But he said, God gave the treasure in their sacks. Which one's true? Did the steward give the treasure into their sacks or did God do it? It's the same question. Hearest thou not? Hearest thou not? Joseph brothers, can you hear? Would you see beyond the steward to see God using the steward to give the money into you? Back to you. And then there was that infamous night when Esau, who had vowed to kill Jacob, you know, Jacob leaves home. The last thing he hears from his mother is, "You better get out of here. Your brother has made his. He, he, he can't. He's going to come. The only comfort that's coming to your brother is when he stands over your dead body." He says, "So you better leave." That's the last thing he hears about his brother. He is the kid brother. Anyway, so the infamous night when Esau, who's vowed to kill Jacob, is coming to Jacob. He's got 400 men with him. And somehow Jacob thinks, it doesn't sound like they want to make a party. And on that night, Jacob is as desperate and anxious as Pharaoh was with his uninterpreted dream. On that night, Jacob is as anxious and desperate as Joseph's brothers were when they stole the money. They didn't, it looked like they were gonna be accused of stealing the money. And Jacob is reaching out for help and he wrestles with a man all night long to get that man to help him with a blessing. And that man helps Jacob by changing his name to Israel. And afterward, Jacob knows that when he had looked into the face of that man, he knew who he saw. He saw God. And so Jacob calls the name of that place Peniel, which means face of God. And Jacob realizes that man that I saw, that was God. And he said in, in, in Genesis 32:30, 30, Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And when he meets Esau, he finds Esau is at peace with him. And the question for Jacob is, hearst thou not, Jacob? Can you hear Jacob? Which is really a question of, Jacob, do you see beyond Esau? Do you see beyond Esau to God who made Esau to be at peace with you? And Jacob gave his answer to the "Hearest thou not question when he said to Esau in Genesis thirty-three ten, I have seen thy face as though... I had seen the face of God, and thou was pleased with me. Hearst thou not, Jacob? Jacob replies, yes, I hear. When my brother replied to me, it was as though I saw the face of God smiling at me, and I knew that God was pleased with me. Because when I grabbed a hold of the man who was God, the man who was Jehovah Jesus, and told him that I wouldn't let him go until he blessed me, I it pleased God. And because I pleased God by grabbing a hold and pleading for a blessing, God made my enemy, Esau, to be at peace with me. Like it says in Proverbs sixteen seven. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him.
1: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God.